Hello everybody and welcome to Charts with Dan. I know it is November 1st when you're watching this video, but it's still Halloween when I'm recording this video as evidenced by my shirt and some of this decor. And I figured, you know what, if Christmas gets the next two months, we can give Halloween one more day. So even though the trick-or-treating is over and the costumes are back in the closet, we're still gonna do today's charts as if it were still Halloween because here, it is. We have a lot to get to, including some big streaming numbers and the second weekend of Black Adam at the box office. But before we get to that, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as always, Carbon Health. Cold and flu season has already begun, believe it or not, and Carbon Health offers so many different services, including getting your flu shot and your latest COVID boosters if you still haven't gotten those. You can also visit Carbon Health for your healthcare needs, either in person or through the Carbon Health app, where you can schedule a virtual appointment. If you live in California, California, you can make Carbon Health your primary care provider, and on the app, you can also find the nearest Carbon Health location anywhere in the country. I'm very happy to be partners with Carbon Health, and I thank them as always for their support here on the show. Let's look at the box office for the past weekend leading into Halloween, which would be October 28th through 30th. And as everybody knew, Black Adam was going to spend a second week at the top of the box office. It had a 59% drop. That's a superhero movie drop that we've talked about. It's not a terrible drop, but it's not a wonderful hold either. We will look in just a few minutes at how that holds up against other films in the DCEU. $27.4 million for Black Adam's second weekend at the box office, holding well because it is a more adult-oriented title, meaning that the older audiences don't necessarily go in mass on the first weekend, was Ticket to Paradise. It had a 40% drop in its second weekend for a $16.5 million total. Pray for the Devil was the new studio offering for the Halloween crowd this year, and it came in third place with $7.1 million. Now, I never would have guessed a month ago that this movie would still be in the top five, much less ahead of Halloween Ends, but Smile in its fifth week of release holds 35.9% for a $5.4 million total. So many people still making Smile their horror movie of choice in theaters this Halloween. And then at number five is Halloween Ends with a 49.3% drop in week three and a total just over $4 million. So let's talk about that second weekend with Black Adam. And I had a lot of people that actually were not, I guess, kind of calling me out on my coverage last week saying, well, wait a minute, how did you cover Black Black Adam this way, but you covered Eternals this way because they had the same budget. Eternals actually debuted higher than Black Adam, basically saying that there's an inconsistency in the coverage. And I will say that, honestly, a lot of what plays into my coverage here on the show uh, is expectation. That's not the only thing that I talk about, but I think that there were different expectations for Eternals as a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as launching this kind of new thing with the prestige attached to it. And also at a time post-pandemic where it was the second Marvel title that had come out uh, in the last couple of years. So I think that there was more anticipation and there was a hope that that movie was going to do better. And I think an expectation, especially when you look at the reviews, that it was going to be received better, both by critics and audiences. Black Adam, I don't think, had the same kind of expectations based on it, especially once the reviews came out. And I stand by my coverage in the sense that I do think that Black Adam's performance did come in spite of the reviews. A lot of people say, like, well, how could you say it was Critic proof. I think that the opening for Black Adam was critic proof because it could have been a case where we saw a much, much lower result, and that's what some people were even projecting once those reviews came out. So I understand the comments that were made last week about my coverage of those two films in particular. And honestly, you know, I cover everything through an analyst's lens, but also through a personal lens. And it may have also been a, a bit of my own psychology and managing the ex 
expectations between those two films. But I also always say that the story doesn't end with the first weekend's box office. We have to continue to track these movies, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing here on the show with Black Adam through the next few weeks. And let's look at its drop in the second weekend when you compare it to other DC titles, or specifically titles in the DCEU. And there are so many different asterisks to make. It's crazy just based on release schedule and time of year and just other circumstances, the context that you have to put these numbers in. But these were the second weekend drop-offs for the official films in the DCEU. At number one is Aquaman, which had a 23% drop-off between its first and second weekend. The caveat there being that Aquaman's first weekend included Christmas Eve, which is traditionally not a big movie-going holiday, and then its second weekend encompassed the week after Christmas, which is usually a huge box office holiday. So that's one reason why the drop-off was so small between weekend one and weekend two for Aquaman. The second lowest drop-off for a DCEU film was Wonder Woman, which came out in the middle of the summer. This was based off of just word of mouth and good reviews with a 43% drop-off. Birds of Prey only had a drop-off of 48% between Weekend 1 and Weekend 2, which is pretty impressive because that was right on the brink of theater closures for COVID. Shazam dropped 54% from its first to its second weekend, followed by Justice League with 56%. And then you see literally right in the middle is Black Adam with a 59% drop from its first to its second weekend. That's why I say it's not a catastrophic drop, but it's also not a great drop. It did not hold as well as Shazam and a few other movies that you don't really have to have a whole lot of context around because of the time and place where they were in the theatrical marketplace. And I think this is going to be something to watch. How is Black Adam going to do in these weekends leading out? It doesn't have a whole lot of competition this upcoming weekend, but then of course it has Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Is there going to be a tail on this movie like we saw on DC League of Super Pets, where it hangs around for a long time and actually puts up even more respectable numbers? How is it going to do worldwide? It took a similar uh, drop worldwide? These are all questions that we don't know the answer to yet. And so again, for people kind of asking about the tone and tenor of my coverage last week, that was about Black Adam's opening. This is about the second weekend of Black Adam and the next show will be about the third weekend of Black Adam. That's one of my big focuses on this show is that it is not just about opening weekend. It's about what comes after. Looking at the other drops, the movies that dropped off more than Black Adam in their second weekend of release, Man of Steel dropped off 65%. Of course, also had a much larger opening than Black Adam. Wonder Woman 1984 dropped 67%, although you see that asterisk there. That was a day and date release, also available on HBO Max. Plus, many theaters were closed at that time. Suicide Squad dropped off 67%. Batman v Superman dropped off 69%. And then the biggest drop from weekend one to weekend two for a film in the the DCEU was the Suicide Squad with a 71% drop, although again, the asterisk and the caveat has to be made that that was a day and date streaming release available on HBO Max. So of course, we will continue to track Black Adam and we'll look at where it is box office wise right now. It's a little bit below where Eternals was at this point in its run, but I think it's just another case where every story is different, every week is different, and every movie is different, and I will continue to track Black Adam's progress, and if it does fall off and it does not... Uh, end very strongly, uh, both domestically and worldwide, then we will cover that on this show too. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Looking at the rest of the top 10, Till saw a big expansion in week three and a 654% increase in business as it went into wide release for a $2.7 million total. This is one of the smallest gaps between uh, positions that I can think of, at least in recent history. At number seven was Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which came in $734 behind Till, basically 
really a, a statistical tie for sixth place and seventh place. Lyle Lyle Crocodile dropped 35.5% in its fourth week. Terrifier 2 in its fourth week of release expanded to a wide run and added 8.2% in business. We've seen this movie add business week after week after week, a very old school way of doing distribution. That was good enough for $1.9 million in eighth place. The Woman King drops to ninth in its seventh week of release, a 40% drop from last weekend and a $1.1 million total. And another film that expanded into wider release, I believe over a thousand theaters, was Tar in its fourth week, a 109.6% increase in business, and for the first time, a total of over $1 million for the weekend. Dropping out of the top 10 this week, we had three films. Triangle of Sadness, which is the Cannes Palme d'Or winner, was, I believe, number 10 last week. It drops out of the top 10 after one week. David O. Russell's Amsterdam, after a very unimpressive box office run, drops out of the top 10 after three weeks. And then Olivia Wilde's buzzy drama, Don't Worry Darling, drops out of the top 10 after five weeks. We've been tracking what I call the road to recovery, which is essentially looking at this year's box office versus last year's box office versus the box office average for 2015 to 2019, the five years prior to the pandemic. And we see here that after jumping above last year's box office last weekend, we take another plunge uh, somewhat below where we were last year and well below the average box office for 2015 through 2019. I think we're probably likely to stay on this trend for this upcoming box office weekend, but then see a big spike again, perhaps over the average once more, once we see the release of Black Panther Wakanda Forever next weekend. There are only two months left in the year. Perhaps we can end strong, although when you look at the orange line there, it's doubtful that we're going to end as strongly as we did last year with the release of Spider-Man No Way Home. These were the top per theater averages for last weekend. At number one was a film that is Denmark's submission for Best International Film at the Academy. Academy Awards that'll be held next year. It's called Holy Spider, and it is a Persian-language film about a real-life journalist in Iran investigating a series of murders. The star of the movie, Zar Amir Ibrahimi, was awarded Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival, so we'll see if this is a movie that goes into Oscar contention. Holy Spider brought in $16,376 in one theater. In second place was Armageddon Time, which opened in six theaters. It'll be expanding to wide release this upcoming weekend. It brought in $11,713 per theater. The Banshees of Inisherin expanded to 58 theaters, but stays on this list for $9,227 per theater. I believe it will also have a major expansion expansion this upcoming weekend. Black Adam, the only movie in wide release on the per theater average list this week, $6,241 per theater in each of its 4,402 theaters. And then at number five is Boblo Boats, a Detroit fairy tale with $5,508 in one theater. I was corrected on that pronunciation by a few people last week. I think I said Boblo Boats, but it is Boblo Boats, and it is a documentary about the attempted restoration of a ferry that used to take people from Detroit to an island amusement park called Boblo that has since been shut down. I watched the trailer for it and it actually looks pretty interesting. I may try to check that movie out if I can find it. It's only playing in one theater and it's not a theater near me, but it sounds like an interesting movie. Looking at the movies that have done well in limited release this year, so these are movies that played in 1,000 theaters or fewer, Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva remains number one with $7.8 million, followed by BTS Permission to Dance at $6.8 million, KGA 
ETF Chapter 2 is at number 3, followed by Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I mentioned that Terrifier 2 went into wide release this weekend, meaning it topped over 1,000 theaters. And what I do on this chart is, once you enter 1,000 theaters, I freeze your gross on this chart, and you don't get to come back. So the gross for Terrifier 2 is higher than the $5.8 million you see here, but for the purposes of this chart, I only count revenue that was earned while the film was in limited release, but it still did really well. Good enough for a top five finish so far, $5.8 million, jumping over Orphan First Kill, which drops to number six for the year. At number seven is Pony and Selvin Part One, followed by Moon Age Daydream, Cyrano, and the Lal Singh Chada. Speaking of limited release, let's see what the top five films were that were playing in limited release this past weekend in 1,000 theaters or fewer. At number one was a live broadcast from Buenos Aires, Coldplay, Music of the Spheres, which was a two-night theatrical event, played in 833 theaters and brought in just over $1 million. Triangle of Sadness was at number two in 610 theaters, bringing in almost $550,000. The Banshees of Inishirin is at number three with a $535,000 dollar total followed by decision to leave at number four from park chan wook in 132 theaters for a 258 thousand dollar total and then after sun expanding to 17 theaters in its second week with a total of 75,242 dollars so a bit of a drop off from number four to number five on the limited release chart this weekend I track the summer box office every year, but I've also decided to do seasonal charts for the other two parts of the year. So the first four months of the year will be the winter-spring box office. Then we'll have the summer box office. And right now we have the fall holiday box office. So these are all the movies that have come out or will come out between Labor Day and the end of the year. And Black Adam takes the number one spot going over $100 million. It's now at $110.9 million. Currently the highest grossing film at the fall holiday box office, although though I highly suspect that Black Panther Wakanda Forever will probably take the number one spot on its opening weekend, or at least get really close. Smile is also looking to approach that $100 million domestic benchmark. It drops down to number two, but its total is an incredibly respectable $92.7 million. I don't think anybody saw this movie making that much money. The Woman King remains at number three for a total of $64.6 million. Right behind it is Halloween Ends, which has now broached the $60 million threshold. Don't Worry Darling is at number five with $44.8 million. Barbarian is at number six with $40 million. Rising two spots from number nine to number seven is Ticket to Paradise. It now stands at $33.5 million. That drops Lyle Lyle Crocodile down one spot to number eight and the re-release of Avatar down one spot to number nine. And then holding down the number 10 spot, although probably not for much longer, is Amsterdam with $14.5 million. Before we move on, I am still working on my review for the first season of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, but if you are looking for a show that will take a deep dive into that series right now, then our sponsor this week may be what you're looking for. Take it away, Felicia Day. I'm Felicia Day, and I'm the host of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. In every episode, I'm going backstage for an all-access look at what it took to bring Middle-earth to life. I'll even have the first full breakdown of the incredible season finale with the series showrunners, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. I will be sharing juicy behind-the-scenes stories and processing all the holy crap moments with the members of the cast and crew. Numenor has got to be the most amazing thing ever, and we wanted it to just be the greatest kingdom of men that ever existed. The elves are arrogant and vain. They're not beyond being corrupted. Can, can I just say, watching Owen Arthur eat in his full regalia is the most hilarious thing. 
So if you want to deep dive into every episode, watch The Rings of Power on Prime Video and listen to all eight episodes of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. So that's a look at what happened domestically this past weekend. Let's look now at the world outside of the United States and Canada and see what the top five films were internationally. At number one was Black Adam, which brought in $39 million. At number two was Coldplay, Music of the Spheres. This was a worldwide live event for a $7.4 million total. Smile is at number three with $7 million, followed by Lyle Lyle Crocodile at number four with $6 million, and Homecoming generating $5,292,000 in the Chinese market, which I was reading due to enhanced and continued COVID lockdown, is actually looking at a big drop from last year and also from 2020 when it was able to take a huge chunk out of the global box office marketplace. There are still some big Chinese films that we'll see that have made a lot of money, but they are feeling that COVID pinch still at the box office in 2022. So when you take the international numbers, you combine them with the domestic numbers, we get our top five movies worldwide for this past weekend. And at number one is Black Adam, which brought in $66.4 million. That is a drop of over 50% from last weekend. So we are seeing so far a similar decline to what we saw here in the domestic market worldwide. Ticket to Paradise is at number two with $12.7 million, followed closely by Smile with $12.4 million. Pray for the Devils at number four with $11.5 million worldwide, and Lyle Lyle Crocodile is at number five with $8.7 million. Looking at the 2022 domestic box office, nothing has changed, although I think by this time next week, we'll have a new number 10 movie. Uh, I think Nope is going to get dropped off the list by Black Adam, but right now we still have the same top 10 as last week. Top Gun Mavericks at number one with $716 million. My 4K disc physical media, I love physical media, came in today. So I imagine Top Gun Maverick is probably going to close its theatrical run pretty soon, although I wouldn't be surprised if they did one last push right around Oscar time to get people back into theaters. Doctor Strange is at number two. Jurassic World Dominion's at number three. The Batman is at number four. Minions The Rise of Gru, the only other movie on this top ten list currently that is still actively in theaters. I think they're maybe trying to squeeze out some money to see if they can bump the Batman off that number four spot. It's very close right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. $368.9 million total for Minions The Rise of Gru. Thor Love and Thunder's at number six. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is at number seven. Elvis is at number eight. Uncharted Charted is at number nine, and Nope for now is at number 10. Looking at the worldwide box office, again, nothing has changed from last week. $400 million is about where many people are saying Black Adam needs to hit to start looking at profitability in the theatrical window, although I think it'd have to be a little bit higher than that. But that would also be the mark that it would need to hit to get on this list. It's not there yet. Top Gun Maverick is at number one with $1.4 billion, followed by Jurassic World Dominion with just over $1 billion. So far, only $2 billion grocers this year. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is at number three, followed by Minions, The Rise of Gru, and The Batman at number five. Thor Love and Thunder is at number six. The Battle at Lake Chongjin 2 is at number seven. Moon Man is at number eight, so we have two films from China currently on this list. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is at number nine. And Sonic the Hedgehog 2 still on the list, despite coming out all the way back at the beginning of the year. 
So this is the part of the show where we do a couple of things. Number one, it's where I take a moment to remember somebody with some words that I think uh, reflect their legacy. And I'm actually going to move that to a little bit later in the show this week. The other thing that we do is the box office flashback, where we take a look at a weekend in box office history. And we're going back 40 years to the weekend, technically before Halloween, but it was the 43rd weekend of the year, October 22nd through the 24th, 1982, which saw the world introduced to the character of John Rambo, played by Sylvester. Sylvester Stallone, First Blood opened at number one with a $6.6 million total over Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I know a lot of people think that the movie was a complete flop, but it actually had a pretty strong opening, gave First Blood a run for its money, a $6.3 million total in second place. It's really interesting when you look at these charts sometimes, because looking at this top five, four of these five movies are being talked about still in some capacity today, but the movie at number three, I've never even heard referenced. It was a movie called Monsignor, which starred Christopher Reeve as a priest who gets his hands a little dirty as he rises through the ranks of the Catholic Church. This movie had a score by John Williams, the same year that he scored E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and yet it has not survived the test of time. I doubt that many people really remember Monsignor, except for maybe the people that were around and were able to see the movie in theaters. At number four is An Officer and a Gentleman, an Oscar-winning film that is still talked about when we talk about 80s romances. It was in its 13th week and saw a 3.8% increase in business and a $3.3 million total. And at number five in its 20th week was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. So John Williams had two films that he had composed scores for in the top five. In its 20th week of release, a 2.2% drop from the weekend before with a $3.2 million total. I looked and I believe the amount of time that E.T. spent in the top 10 domestically was 35 weeks, which is pretty insane. Uh, Top Gun Maverick came close, but it couldn't quite put together 35 straight weeks in the top 10. Something else that we've been doing though here is pushing the inflation button to see how these opening weekends would have looked in today's dollars. So let's do that and we can see that when you adjust for inflation, First Blood would have been looking at a $20.3 million dollar opening weekend, followed by Halloween 3 Season of the Witch with a $19.4 million opening, Monsignor with $11.1 million, An Officer and a Gentleman with $10.3 million, and E.T. the Extraterrestrial bringing in $9.9 million in its 20th week of release. That wraps up our look at the box office, but I always like to take a look also at the streaming charts. What are people watching through various different services at home? And we will start, as we always do, with the iTunes chart. What are people renting and buying? At number one is Bullet Train, available for purchase and rental. At number two is Nope, which is back on the chart because it is also now available not only for purchase, but for rental. So that's good enough to bump it there to that second spot. Top Gun Maverick is at number three. Don't Worry Darling hit the iTunes store, available for purchase and premium video on demand, which would be the high-priced rentals. Barbarian also hit the chart just in time for Halloween, available for purchase and rental, which was good enough for number five. Room on the Broom is at number six. I'm very old and I've never heard of this, but I'm sure a lot of people will explain to me why I'm out of touch for not knowing what Room on the Broom is. Fall is at number seven, where the Crawdads Sing is at number eight. Coraline hits the chart at number nine, perhaps an unconventional Halloween choice, but I like it, available for purchase and rental. And then Confess Fletch, available for purchase and rental, good enough for number 10. 
Let's see what the most watched programs on Netflix were for the week of October 17th through the 23rd. For this chart, I use what I call my global Merle metric, which is something that generates what I call a PFV number. I take the number of hours watched for each program, I divide it by the length of that program, and it gives me an estimate for what I call the potential finished views, PFV, the number of Netflix users that potentially could have finished viewing each one of these movies or series, etc. At number one is The School for Good and Evil, which had been in development for a very long time. It's a fantasy film from Paul Feig based on a novel of the same name, so a long-awaited adaptation there. Good enough for a PFE of 31.8, meaning 31.8 million Netflix users could potentially have finished viewing that. The Watcher Season 1 is at number two. The Curse of Bridge Hollow at number three. At number four is Luckiest Girl Alive. Blackout is at number five. At number six, and joining the chart for the first time, is The Stranger, which is a thriller based on a true story starring Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. At number seven is Someone Borrowed. At number eight, Dahmer, which we will see in a couple of different charts here in just a moment. At number nine is Black and Blue, which is a 2019 theatrical release, a police drama. I remember there being some pretty good buzz about that film. It was good enough for number nine with a 5.1 PFV. And then at number 10 is From Scratch, starring and executive produced by Zoe Saldana. It's an eight-episode limited series, and in its debut on the chart, it generated a PFV of 4.6. Dahmer, since its debut a few weeks ago, has generated a lot of watch time on Netflix, and it is quickly burning up the charts as far as the most watched programs on Netflix this year, and also now the most watched programs since Netflix began providing this data back in June of last year. Let's look first at the most watched programs for 2022, and we see that Dahmer has moved into the top five. So the Adam Project is at number one with a PFV of 147.2. Stranger Things 4 is right behind with a PFE of 145.5. The Gray Man's at number three with a PFE of 123.7. Then we have Purple Hearts at 118.5. And then Dahmer, now number five, it's generated almost 900 million hours watched and a potential finished views number of 101.16. That bumps Hustle down to number six, The Sea Beast down to number seven, Bridgerton season two stays at number eight, The Man from Toronto stays at number nine, and The Tender Swindler remains at number 10. Dahmer has now, yes, become also one of the 10 most watched programs since Netflix began providing this data back in June of last year. You see it has now entered the chart at number nine. It bumps Money Heist Part 5 off of this chart completely. Hustle gets dropped down to number 10, and I'm sure that we will see Dahmer move up at least one or two more positions. At number one is still Squid Game with a PFE of 279.2 and over 2.2 billion hours watched. Red Notice is at number two. Don't Look Up is at number three. The Adam Project is at number four. Stranger Things 4 is at number five. The Gray Man is at six. Purple Hearts is at seven. And The Unforgivable is at number eight. Let's look now at the Nielsen streaming ratings. Now, this is not a perfect metric. It does not take into account every streaming service, although more and more of them are jumping on board. This is also US only. It only tracks through certain devices. So for things like House of the Dragon, this does not take into account any viewership that was done over the air on cable and also through other devices. So this is not a complete picture. It's just a little bit of an indication about how things are going. These numbers are also delayed by about a month. This is for September 25th through October 2nd. And you can see Hocus 
Pocus 2 on Disney Plus generated 45.4 million hours watched. To put that into context, that's the second most watched program that Nielsen tracked for that week. And I don't just mean movie, I mean movie, series, you name it. And Disney Plus is saying that it is their most watched original film launch ever. So a lot of eyeballs on Disney Plus for Hocus Pocus 2. 45.4 million hours watched. About 30 million below that was Lou on Netflix with 13.3 million hours watched. Then we go back to Disney Plus. The original Hocus Pocus generated 12.9 million hours watched, followed by the debut of Blonde on Netflix with 10 million hours watched. We tracked that on the Netflix charts and said that especially given that movie's long runtime, it was not an especially strong performer. You see here domestically, it debuted at number four on the Nielsen streaming charts. DC League of Super Pets on HBO Max debuts at number five with 6.8 million hours watched, followed by a Jazzman's Blues on Netflix, then Last Seen Alive at number seven. Rob Zombie's The Munsters, just under six million hours watched at number eight, Inheritance at number nine, and Father Stew at number 10. This viewing period marked the first full week that Dahmer was available on Netflix, and you can see that it generated so many hours watched. 72.8 million hours watched, over 50 million more hours watched than the number two program. That's pretty impressive for an easy number one win. Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power comes in at number two with 16.1 million hours watched total, followed closely by House of the Dragon on HBO Max with 15.1 million hours watched, again with the caveat that this does not include cable viewers. Coco Melon on Netflix is at number four, followed by NCIS at number five. In the Dark on Netflix at number six, followed by Cobra Kai at number seven. Game of Thrones on HBO Max returns to the chart at number eight with 9.9 million hours watched, followed by Grey's Anatomy also returning to the chart. And following the launch of a new series, The Great British Bake Off on Netflix makes the top 10 with 9.3 million hours watched for the series in total. Something else I've been doing with these Nielsen ratings is something called Watch Time Per Episode episode where I see how many hours watched per individual episode are being generated by these different shows because some of them have hundreds of episodes and some of them have six episodes. Again, this is not a perfect metric, but it just kind of helps us see what direction we're heading in as far as viewership. No surprise here, but Dahmer had the highest hours watched per episode with 7.3 million over all 10 episodes. That was a full run, so people could watch the entire series. Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power is at number two six available episodes for an hour's watch per episode of 2.7 million. House of the Dragon is at number three with an hour's watch per episode of 2.2 million. Andor is at number four. It had four available episodes this week. It was the first week where only one episode came out, but it appears that either a lot of people were watching that fourth episode or people were still catching up on those first three. An hour's watch per episode of 2 million. Then The Empress on Netflix, 1 million hours watch per episode for each of these six episodes of full run of that series was available. She-Hulk Attorney at Law returns to the chart with seven episodes available and an hour's watch per episode of 942,857. Coco Melon is at number seven. Cobra Kai is at number eight. In the Dark is at number nine. And El Rey Vicente Fernandez rounds out the top 10 with 217,000 hours watched per episode, a very close number with both In the Dark and Cobra Kai. That just about wraps up charts for this week. I've got one more thing that I want to talk about after we take a preview of what is opening in theaters, but let's see what your options are going to be this upcoming weekend. One of the only movies opening in wide release is One Piece Film Red, which I guess you could say is the marquee wide release for the weekend. 
The Banshees of Inisherin will be expanding to many more theaters, so hopefully it'll be closer to where you are if you haven't been able to see it yet. Armageddon Time will also be expanding to many more theaters. Enola Holmes 2 hits Netflix this weekend, along with the newest Harry Styles project, My Policeman. It will be available on Amazon Prime Video. The Weird Al Yankovic biopic Weird, starring Daniel Radcliffe, will be available on Roku this upcoming weekend. And then just a few movies that are opening in limited release, Utama, which was one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie coming out of the Sundance Film Festival, will be hitting limited release this weekend. Something in the Dirt, which is a really interesting film. It wasn't quite on my frequency, but a lot of people have really been digging it. It will be entering limited release this weekend. And then Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu's latest film, Bardo, will be hitting limited release ahead of a wider theatrical release ahead of a Netflix release in December. Man, these release structures can get really complicated these days. So I mentioned earlier that we have a part of the show that uh, usually I used to remember somebody in the entertainment industry, somebody that, you know, has contributed warm memories and good times and uh, leaves a legacy. And uh, unfortunately, we're, we're using that part. This is Mara, by the way, if you don't know her. She's my wonderful partner in life, partner in everything. And uh, we're actually using that segment of the show. And we saved it for last for a reason, because it's not very fun to talk about. We had a bit of an unexpected loss uh, in our family. If you've seen this show or anything that I do here on uh, the channel, uh, you know that we have two wonderful cats. Uh, and you've probably seen yeah, one of them Muffin, back in there on almost every video. Our girl cat Muffin, if you see this box right here, you may not have noticed, but a lot of uh, a lot of episodes of this show and other shows, she was asleep in that box mm -hmm. right there. Unfortunately, last week, unexpectedly, um, we had to say goodbye. She had an illness that we actually couldn't diagnose for a very long time. And uh, we took her to the vet several times, tried different medications, uh, and ultimately we found out um, about this time last week that... That she had an inoperable, very incredibly rare form of aggressive cancer. Yeah. And she was not a very good candidate for radiation. Her prognosis was not very good. And even if we pursued treatment, she would have had a very poor quality of life. So in conjunction with the internist and with our vet, we made the decision you never want to make. No. and um, But it was what was best for her. Yeah. Um, and Sorry. I know, no. <laughs> that's, and that the other thing that I want to say is, or that we wanted to say is that, you know, people see people like us that get very emotional about animals and pets and their family. And, and some people say... I get say, emotional about pets on TV. Exactly. Some people would say... <laughs> Well, you know, it's just a it's just a dog or it's just a cat, etc. And I think that honestly to have that attitude is to not know how wonderful and how, you know, to really accept a pet into your home and into your heart because Muffin was my little buddy. She would sit with me most videos that you see on this channel, I mean, she was in my lap. Or editing. She yeah. would sit on my office chair and <laughs> Act like she was doing work. Yeah. Um, she was a much-loved part of the family. The one thing that we wanted to do and the reason that we wanted to really talk about it is to, A, just share how wonderful she was and mm -hmm. how much of a part of our family that she was, but also to use this as an opportunity to share, number one, that um, we were very unfortunate 
in that there was no realistic treatment option for us. If that had, if a treatment had been an option for us, we have pet insurance, which we highly recommend. Not sponsored. Not sponsored. Really, pet insurance can be the difference between regular preventative care like dental cleanings, which you may not know are really important to get for cats. We are also lucky enough to have money to set aside for pet care that we just have budgeted, but we know mm -hmm. that people are number one, not always as fortunate to be able to set aside that money, especially now. Uh, and number two, um, people are, are often more fortunate um, in the case of being able to have options for um, treatment. So we looked at a different, uh, several different sources, but I think the best thing that we found is that if you are in need of care for an animal that um, has an illness has an that illness, is treatable, yeah. And that you and your vet agree is something that would be pursued if cost was no object. There are organizations that can help you. Yeah. Euthanization should not be the answer for your pet if it's a matter of cost. And there are people that will help you. Yeah. And there are many resources out there. If you're looking for some place to start, the Humane Society has a lot of, uh, at least uh, some, some starters where you could perhaps make some inquiries, inquiries different organizations that, that raise money, uh, charitable organizations for this exact thing. But the other thing we wanted to share to sort of make this a little bittersweet is that um, also unexpectedly... Well, well can, we, can we back up just a little? Sure. So I want to tell you about when I got Muffin. Okay. So uh, I... It was one of those situations without going into the nitty gritty details, because I will cry more, is that I kind of needed to take her right then, or it was possible that she was going to be going to a different family or that she wouldn't be available for when I could take her. So I went and I got all of the cat things and I took her right then. Mm -hmm. And she's been mine ever since. When I found Sir Pounce, I had been trying to find Muffin a cat mate because she was a single cat not from a litter didn't bond with any other cats so I did adopt her as a single which I strongly encourage adopting in pairs if possible or having a cat already in your house that's good with other cats it was a situation where he was just there at a place I needed to take him right then or he would have gone back to the foster and he could have been gone the next day for all I knew so I took him home the same day we did a lot to keep Sir Pounce very engaged very entertained which was very bittersweet because he was just getting 24 7 attention for a couple days because yeah. You know, we didn't want him to notice she was gone. Yeah. But we realized that we would need to fill that vacancy for him. We knew and that we weren't on a timetable. No. But we, we thought we'd start looking. Yeah. Kind of on a on a, a whim, not even really. We, we with no expectation, we went to visit our local animal shelter and yep. we found um, our newest addition, whose name is Jayla. This is the newest addition to our family, Jayla. She has a donut on because she was just fixed a few days ago. And she and don't worry, to... I am supporting her from her butt. <laughs> and I'm not putting any pressure on her incision. Plus, she would move if she were uncomfortable. She's about a year old. So they say. I don't believe that. She's still adjusting to her new surroundings. Uh, there's actually an edit here because she stepped on, <laughs> she the, stepped on the computer keyboard. and stopped the audio rolling. Hi, so... We went to the shelter to see Jayla, and we we honestly did not expect to take her home that day. We were gonna kind of go and visit her and 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 think about it, but we ended up kind of being in the same situation. The shelter said, "If you don't take her now, she's gonna go to a different shelter, and it and it she just, could be gone the next day. You know, we won't we wouldn't know." Sometimes you just feel that connection, and and we felt like she belonged, uh, you know, in our home. Hi. Oh, this is Sir Pounce. Hi, bud. He's our other kitty. Are you a good boy? Hi, bud. You want to say hi? Ow. Yeah, I know. Um, so it's been uh, a very 
up and down couple of weeks here. Um, but well, I think... yeah, I mean, the the month leading up to last week was... Um, God, he is such an attention. He really um, is. Kitty. This is now his show. I think um, the main thing we wanted to say, though, and we would have said this even if we hadn't found Jayla, yeah. is to say that if you are wanting to welcome an animal like this guy who came from a shelter and yeah. Jayla... Muffin was also a, a shelter cat. Um, to open your, your home uh, uh, to an animal... Um, look how cute they are. Uh, there are shelters in every city that have animals that need homes. There are wonderful people that work in those shelters, but I think that their dream would be an empty shelter. We certainly did not expect to find Jayla so close and so quickly. It's just sort of how it, it worked out for us. Mm -hmm. But anyway, this is, you know, this is mostly a box office show, but we also share part of our lives. And really, we wanted to take what's been a really sad time for us and try to at least share a message of you know to help people that may need it to avoid being in the situation that we were in every house is different some people have pets some people don't have pets some, some people, people have, have kids. human children some people don't have kids you know every family is different and um, we're very happy to have had muffin in our lives and to have sir pounce in our lives and now have jayla in our lives and the the, the sadness of losing them is rough but the happiness that they bring you is also amazing. So um, anyway, uh, as Sir Pounce just stares at Jayla and dominates the show, that's the show. All right. Oh, well, he's probably going to go chase his sister now. Yeah, she just um, zoomed. He's going <laughs> to. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Until next time, Mara's behind the cat. Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you then.